Happy Friday, everybody. We're going through the Little Bit Out West book that I wrote. If you haven't listened to episode zero, I'll just real quick. This is a book that I wrote over about 25 or 30 years or so of being in ministry and life. And I just felt like every time I came across something that I felt like I knew for sure that I that I felt like I knew what I was talking about, that I wrote these things down for myself. It was just my list. I, I wrote this list and called it, What Do We Know? And so this is that book, or this is that list, I should say. And so week 31 is, this chapter is titled, Bloom Where You Are Planted. I don't really know what people mean by this, Bloom Where You're Planted, But what I personally heard when they said this was, come bloom in our church, submit to our leadership, stop trying to find someplace else because you're stuck here. This is where God put you whether you like it or not. We don't care if you don't feel satisfied or fulfilled. Stop trying to get out of this place. Just decide to be happy because this is where God put you. And most of the people that said things like this just seem like control freaks to me. There is a truth here, but it has taken me many years to understand it. If you are submitted to God, then you seek His will, and it is in that will of His that you're going to be the happiest. If you trust Him, if you have faith in Him, then you can trust that He will put you in the right place at the right time. That, however, does not mean that just because this is where you are, that this is necessarily that place. All this nonsense that you hear about, you're not here in our church by accident. This is a divine encounter. We don't believe in coincidence. Well, maybe, but maybe not. There's another saying I've heard. Find the place called there, and that's where you will be happy. Well, this is in reference to in Elijah's ministry, written about in the book of 1 Kings, God had been taking care of Elijah by sending ravens to bring him food. This is in 1 Kings 17, 6. However, Elijah promised that it wouldn't rain. So, because of his prophecy, the water source, which was his water source, the brook Kareth, dried up. 1 Kings 17.7. So God said to him, Go to Zarephath and stay with the widow woman that I have told to take care of you there. 1 Kings 17.9. So from this story, there has arisen this teaching in some churches that God has a place picked out for you somewhere called there. And you just need to find it and you will be fulfilled and satisfied. That's where all the good stuff is. That's where the spout, where the good stuff comes out, is in that place called there. Elijah was in a place called there, but then noticed that God told him to leave that place and go find another place called there. Sometimes I think God made some people to be planted in the backyard, but I think he made others to be a potted plant that could be moved from place to place. For me, when they told me that there was some place called there and that I could go find it, I was overjoyed. I immediately began searching for that place. 
I looked and looked. I went to Bible college. I went from job to job, from church to church, and I just couldn't seem to find that place called there. I don't think I was ever really dumb enough to believe that I had to find there to be happy, but I did kind of have the idea that at the time, whatever else I was doing wasn't as important as what I would be doing someday when I found there. For me, while I was searching for my place, I could sense, I could feel that I was just biding my time, doing what had to be done as my job, as my duty, waiting for the magic day when I would find the place called there. When I was at work, I always felt like I couldn't just relax and enjoy the work because this wasn't who I really was. I was supposed to be a minister, not just a cowboy or just a truck driver. In addition, I was always under stress to do the right thing or make the right decision. What I saw just the other day was that if I really trust God, if I am his child and the sheep of his pasture, then I can trust that he will lead me to wherever that place is. Elijah didn't just go hunting widow women. God told him specifically where to go and who to see. So that kind of means that I'm in that place there right now, and if I'm not, it's God's responsibility to reveal it to me. I need to rest in this pasture where I am as a good sheep, and God will let me know when it's time to go into the next pasture. Jumping fences or standing around the gate will not accomplish anything. It just causes strife and discontent. And I'm going to get hungry because instead of grazing like the rest of the sheep, I'll just be crowding around the gate waiting for it to open. People tried to tell me that I was doing ministry right where I was, but I didn't want to hear it. I had a vision of what my ministry was supposed to look like, and I refused to be satisfied until I saw it. This was a wrong way of thinking for me. I have learned to rest in this day and to live one day at a time and enjoy this place. Even if it doesn't look like the there that I think it's supposed to look like, this is the place God has me for now. And he'll let me know when I need to move on. So that there is what I think about the whole idea of looking for a place called there. I think we need to just to simplify it and we need to just say, God is responsible for me. That's what we talked about several weeks ago when we talked about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As we seek God and as we seek to live our lives for God and with God, then we need to learn to be able to you know, as they people talk about being in the moment or being present. And I think that's true. I think that's exactly true with God, that we have to be in this moment with God. We need to be present with God and understand that God is using us right now, right where we are, doing what we're doing as we continue to listen and follow him. This is, of course, a huge subject and and I don't want to go on and on and on, which I probably could, as you know. Uh, I have a tendency to do that sometimes. 
But I think this is a huge subject. I want you to think about this all week. I think that there's some really good things to learn here, to, to understand here. And I think as we, as we press into God, I think he will show us what this place right now, right where we are, what that can look like. All right. So, moving on. First, I wanted to answer a question. Uh, My friend Shane sent me a text the other day and asked me this question. So Shane says, Hey, Jay, why didn't God just start over when Adam and Eve messed up? Wouldn't it have been much easier for him? So why didn't God just start over? We don't really know for sure that this hasn't happened before. All we know for sure is that Adam and Eve are the first ones that we have a record of. That's the only ones that he told us about. But the way to understand this the best is that when Adam and Eve were created, they were given authority over everything. And so the only people who were there were the people who were in charge. And so when they fell, everything that they had authority over fell with them. And we've, we talked about this a few weeks ago in the Who's in Control podcast about the fall. So everything fell at that time. Now, God could have said, King's X, okay, I changed my mind. Never mind about all that. We're going to start over with a different Adam and a different Eve. He could have done that. But see, this is the thing about choice that a lot of people don't understand is it is inevitable that there would have been a fall. You can't you can't tell somebody choose good or bad and then expect them to never choose bad. Sooner or later we all choose bad. And when that happens, the areas in our life that we have authority over fall with us. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve because they were the first ones. And so that's why there needed to be a Savior. That's why, I mean, this is the entire gospel, really, in this one question. This is the entire Christianity. This is the entire gospel. This is the entire purpose for the crucifixion. It is exactly everything that I've been talking about with the subject of who's in control. It's all about that sooner or later, somebody's going to fall, and somebody has to do something about that. And the only person that can do something about that was Jesus. All right, so now we're going to move into chapter 8 in the Who's in Control. And what we're going to talk about now is suffering. Where does suffering come from? Frederick Nietzsche said, That which does not kill us makes us stronger. Nietzsche was a 19th century philosopher whose ideas were used during the 1930s by Adolf Hitler to help give the German Nazi party justification. It makes perfect sense that Hitler would agree with this philosophy once you think about it. If this idea is true, then Adolf Hitler and Genghis Khan were wonderful people who provided the proper environment for optimum growth. To a certain extent, they may have even believed that they were doing well. 
They killed and tortured, and so they provided people the best opportunity for realizing their true potential and growth. And thinking about Nietzsche, if his philosophy was true, then that would make Mother Teresa the Antichrist because she devoted her life to helping to relieve the suffering of people. Having said that, people who are able to overcome things many times come out of that experience with new strength and perspectives. But this is because God is working in that situation and bringing good from evil. But that does not mean that God caused or approves of that suffering. Persecution and wages. Okay, so there are two kinds of suffering, according to Scripture. The first kind of suffering is the consequences, or what the Bible calls the wages of sin. Our disobedience to God is the definition of sin, and the wages, or the consequences of that sin, is death. God said to Adam, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you will surely die. Genesis 2.17 Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and as a result they received the consequences of their sin, which was death. Not only their spiritual death, which was separation from God, but eventually their physical death as well. The second type of suffering is persecution. Persecution can be defined as the attack of the enemy and from other people against the children of God because of who they are and what they believe. This comes in many forms ranging from rejection to murder. Farming. This idea that suffering promotes growth makes no sense agriculturally. No farmer would agree for a second that if his crops are allowed to suffer that they'll be better. No rancher would agree that if his cattle suffered through a hard winter that they'll be stronger. A flower that is stepped on never grows back better than it was, and when a horse has a broken leg he's usually killed, because that leg will never heal properly. Except in very unusual circumstances, the person who has suffered is almost always weaker from the experience. Usually these people carry infirmities with them for, for the rest of their lives. Some of the people who have survived the concentration camps of World War II have spent their whole lives with certain areas of infirmity, even though they lived relatively normal lives since then. We have an epidemic of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder in the United States as a result of people experiencing suffering. PTSD is common among men who have been in combat. Someone who has suffered from trauma is almost always very fragile emotionally and physically, sometimes for a very long time afterward. In addition, PTSD creates a type of imbalance in the person, and they become unstable in the sense that Emotions sometimes become uncontrollable for that person. Exercise. Of course, you must understand that this idea of suffering does not include the area of exercise. Exercise is not suffering no matter how much it feels like it. Every animal on earth enjoys a certain amount of exercise, and if you watch young animals, they run and appear to play when they exercise, and they seem to enjoy it. People are the only things on earth that torture themselves on purpose. There is a saying, 
no pain, no gain. This statement can be misleading. Not all pain brings gain. There's a kind of pain that you feel when a muscle is stretched, but there's another kind of pain when the muscle is stretched too far. In spiritual things, the same thing can be true. Yes, it is true that we are stretched and strengthened by some types of spiritual pain. There are other times, though, when we experience pain that damages and causes trauma. In those cases, we must realize that the pain was not caused or condoned by God. When we know that, then it becomes possible for that pain to be erased by the loving kindness of a wonderful Father. As long as you believe that this pain was caused or approved or allowed by God, you will see him as an abusive father, even if you don't admit it. You will be forced to deal with your pain using your own strength and resources, and you will never be able to allow God to heal your pain as long as you believe he approves of it. God's attack dog. I don't believe God ever uses the devil as his attack dog. Why would God cast the devil out of heaven if this was the case? Wouldn't God just give him a corner office where he could call him out every once in a while to go give someone a thorn in their flesh in order to teach them humility? Jesus said he saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven in Luke 10:18. No mention there of Satan being sent to the kennels to wait to be called upon to teach humility. All right, so that's the end of that chapter. Next week, we're going to go into your favorite subject, I'm sure, and I know that there are people who have wanted to bring this up. They just haven't written me yet. But next week, we're going to talk about the trials of Job. Yes, we're going to talk about Job. All right, so thanks for coming. I appreciate it. And I've got a treat for you this week. This is a song that was written by uh, Don Micha and the Bunny of the Hills on Twitter. And uh, they sent me the the lyrics to this song and asked me to put some music to it and so we did and this is that song I want to go Let
This time I'll make it last 